0: Welcome to Environment Matters with me, Amanda Yorworth. Environment Matters is the show that brings you news on issues of sustainability and the environment from around St Albans and from further afield. Well, the nights have well and truly drawn in and those long sunny days of first lockdown, well, they're a distant memory, aren't they? But if you're a stargazer, this is the time of year for you with those long dark nights to stare up into the heavens. Or is it? It's estimated that 55% of the UK population can't see the Milky Way due to light pollution. And I suspect that applies to a lot of us around here in St Albans. Sandridge resident Dr David Lee emailed me at amanda at to say that he's concerned about local light pollution. We'll hear from Dr Lee later. But first, what is light pollution and should we really be concerned about it? I spoke to UK Biodiversity Training Manager at the Natural History Museum, Steph West, to find out more. Prior to joining the museum, Steph worked as an ecological consultant advising on lighting requirements for new developments. Steph, thank you very much indeed for joining me. So I suppose to start off with, could you help us with exactly what light pollution is? I mean, is it really right to call it pollution?
1: It absolutely is right to call it pollution. Um, we think about pollution in terms of like watercourse pollution or air pollution. Quite often, those are the topics that people come up with. But when we're talking about light pollution, we're talking about something which is just as pervasive. It can interrupt our own human health through affecting our sleep patterns, but it also affects our wildlife and the environment around us as well. So it very much is a case of light pollution is environmental pollution. It's just a little okay. bit more under people's radar. Uh, I mean, I I suppose uh,
0: we kind of expect that it might have got worse, given that I suppose more people means more houses, more houses, more light bulbs. But is light pollution really getting that much worse?
1: Yeah, it's definitely changed and it's changing very, very fast. There's some incredible footage um, available very readily on the internet now showing how global light pollution has changed from satellite imagery But what has changed is not just the actual volume of lighting, but the nature of that lighting as well. If you think about the street lamps, for example, that you remember from even just a few years ago, they were the sort of yellowy orange sodium lamps, those sorts of things. We're very much changing that to white lights. And while quite often that's associated with LED lights and things like good colour rendition so that we can properly recognise colours when we're under those streetlights, that does and can have another different type of impact because it's a different kind of light that's being produced.
0: Okay, well, certainly that's the case in St. Albans. We have made that move from the orange sodium streetlights to the LEDs. So, so you'd say, I mean, that, that is saving the council money and it's obviously um, cutting our carbon footprint, but it's not a good thing as far as light pollution goes.
1: It's a different thing in terms of light pollution. So what happens with those white LED lights, and they are fantastic in terms of saving energy and saving money, of course. Because they are pure white lights, they include a lot of elements of the light spectrum, which the old yellow sodium lights didn't. They include quite a lot of blue light. And actually, with quite a few of them, they actually produce quite a high component of ultraviolet light. So that's light that's of no use to us as humans because we can't see it. But it's creating an extra layer of pollution. And that actually can be the most damaging element. So it's not that those lights are bad, but just actually thinking about how they're put in is really important.
0: Okay. so you've touched on the idea that light pollution might affect wildlife. I mean, when we think about creatures that might be affected by light, I suppose it's creatures of the night. You think about things like, things like bats. Um, are they affected
1: by light pollution? They very definitely are, yeah. It's an interesting concept and one which has been talked about in terms of the effect of lights on, on wildlife for a long time, actually. I think the earliest paper I've, I've read on it was written in 1981. But more recently, this has been looked at in quite a lot of critical detail. It's something in landscape planning terms. We talk about nocturnal permeability of a landscape. So the ability of nocturnal wildlife to move through dark spaces in our landscape. Now, bats are my favourite subject. And depending on the species, they'll be affected by lights in slightly different ways. So we can't apply a blanket this affects bats to all species in quite the same way. But in general, it does affect some species. And for some species, it can cause a complete break in their habitual commuting routes, if you like, through the landscape. Bearing in mind that some of those species can travel vast distances.
0: When we think about bats, they're famous for their echolocation rather than to, so that they are sort of seeing with sound rather than seeing with, with sight. So, so how does the, how does the light affect them if they're not actually using it to see by, as it were?
1: Well, the old adage, blind as a bat, actually isn't true. Bats do have eyesight. Yes, they mostly navigate in the dark by echolocation, but they have very light, sensitive eyesight. So in lit environments, quite often, they're almost switching to using their eyesight rather than their echolocation. Of course, making a noise can make you more noticeable to some predators and can also make it harder to sneak up, I guess, on your prey. So they will switch to eyesight in lit situations. And if it's particularly bright light, that can be, for a creature with very sensitive eyesight, almost glaring, almost as if you were looking at the main beams on a headlight with someone was driving towards you with their full beam headlights on.
0: Okay, well, that must be quite tricky for them. So how about creatures that we would more usually associate with daytime, like birds? Are they affected by light pollution or is the fact that they're out and about in the day, does that mean that they're not affected?
1: They can be affected. And again, particularly by lights, which have got quite a high blue or ultraviolet component, particularly. What it does is it affects something called circadian rhythms. So that's the same thing that affects us on our sleep patterns while we're more, we're more adapted to sleeping at night. And if you've ever walked through the middle of a town centre um, late at night, and actually I did it because I, I live in London, and I heard quite late at night a blackbird singing. And that's actually been disturbed by those street lights. It's confused its nocturnal sleep patterns, if you like, and it's calling at the wrong time. So actually some of the original studies on the impacts of light pollution were done on birds, specifically because it's so noticeable in town centres that they will keep singing throughout the night.
0: Okay, and I suppose we all know the effect of a bad night's sleep on us. And I suppose if these birds are um, awake singing all night, then they're not getting the sleep that they need.
1: Absolutely. And of course, the other element here as well, we're talking about large vertebrates, bats and, and birds. But of course, most of those species groups also rely on invertebrates as well. And invertebrate populations can be hugely impacted, again, by changes in daylight patterns, but also in terms of their own natural behaviour. And that can, of course, then impact on their predatory species. So again, bats and birds can be affected by that as well. It's not just the direct impacts on lighting.
0: So obviously light pollution is a problem. So what can we do about it if we want to reduce our light pollution? Obviously, we do need light to get around um, you know, our environment at night. But what can we do so that we minimise the effect of, of the light that we use? Have you got a few tips for us?
1: So there's a few things, there's a few things that people can do. One of which would be, of course, commenting on planning applications or speaking to your local councillors or MPs even. There are a lot of different ways now of managing for light planning, if you like, in new developments. There's fantastic guidance that's been written as a combination between the Back Conservation Trust and the Institute for Lighting Professionals. And they've created this fantastic guidance looking at different methods for controlling large scale street lighting. So it has less of a, a sky glow effect. So we're lighting the things that we need to be lit rather than um, the things that we don't.
0: How about in our, in our own houses or in our own gardens? What, what could we do there to reduce the impact?
1: There's plenty people can do about their own impact on light pollution. And the first and very easiest one is to simply close your curtains at night. Your windows will expel a lot of light that's going on inside your house. Um, so something just that simple will affect and reduce your overall light pollution. But then there's looking at the lighting that you've got outside your own home as well. And quite often that's a combination of practical security lighting and ornamental garden lighting as well. And for security lighting particularly, what I always say is make sure you're lighting the features you need to when you need them. So use PIR Lighting. Lighting which is motion sensitive, um, so it's not on all light. And make sure that you're only lighting the features you need to. So if you need to light the front door, have something which has got an appropriate cowl or screen over the top, so you're not lighting the whole night sky. And the same kind of approach is true with garden lighting. I know we're coming up to Christmas, and particularly this year, people are going to want to be celebrating that as best they can in the current circumstances but put your lights on when you need them, when you're actually going to look at them. Do they really need to be on at three o'clock in the morning when there's not really going to be anyone around to enjoy them? And think about, you know, does it need to be up lighters or can can something interesting and beautiful be done in your garden spaces which perhaps don't have that huge lighting impact in quite the same way.
0: Okay, Steph, that sounds like some excellent tips there. And thank you for highlighting some of the issues there to do with what is obviously a growing problem.
1: Thank you very much.
0: I was talking there to Steph West from the Natural History Museum. And the Natural History Museum website, well, it's a great resource for all sorts of fabulous stuff about the natural world. Uh, I particularly like the how to make a T-Rex snowflake template. Other animals are available too. And, you know, that's a great point that Steph makes, isn't it, about simply shutting our curtains at night. Great for reducing light pollution. It's also the cheapest and easiest way to reduce heat loss from your home as well. So light pollution is an increasing problem and poses a risk to vulnerable wildlife. Someone who's concerned about the effect of light pollution locally and the difficulty in taking action to stop it is Sandridge resident Dr David Lee. David thank you very much indeed for joining me today. So would you like to start by telling us where you live and what's the source of light pollution that you're particularly concerned about?
2: I live in Soundridge and the light pollution which concerns me covers the area between the Jersey farm development and Soundridge village.
0: And what's the source of this uh, light pollution?
2: The light pollution comes from some floodlights which have been erected at Nash's Farm, which is entered from Nash's Farm Lane.
0: Could you give us an estimate of the distance that the light from these uh, security lights falls?
2: It probably extends at least two kilometres, maybe a little bit more.
0: Why are you particularly concerned about these lights?
2: Well I'm concerned about them because they clearly affect wildlife in the area The light spreads over all the open land between Jersey Farm and Sandridge Village and beyond. So Jersey
0: Farm Woodland Park is within that area, would you say?
2: Yes, indeed it is. In fact, they shine very brightly on the Woodland Park.
0: Anecdotally, I've heard that security on farms is a fair problem. Isn't Nash's Farm justified in having security lights like the ones it has?
2: Well, rural crime is, is a problem and they are justified in looking after the security of their property. But from the survey which I have made, it's not clear how these lights can help to secure the farm. They shine away from the farm in the direction of Sandridge. And if you actually walk around the farm, as I have done, it is not clear at all that they assist to in illuminating the farm at all.
0: I understand that Nash's farm actually had to seek planning permission for these lights. So presumably things were taken into consideration at that time,
2: for instance, like the problem of light pollution.
0: Do you think that it should have been given more consideration?
2: Let me explain. It was in February 2019 that I first raised this problem with one of our local parish councillors. And following that... My home was visited by an officer of the district council, and they decided that the lights didn't constitute a nuisance as far as my house was concerned. However, the council took the decision to require the Nash's farm to enter into a retrospective planning application for for the lights, which they did, and that went on for almost a year whilst it was under, Investigation and then at the end of that period they decided that the planning application wasn't required, and Nash's Farm applied for a legalization of the lights.
0: So is there anything more that St. Albans District Council can do if they don't think that the lights are causing a nuisance? Do they have powers to do anything else, as far as you understand
2: it? The situation is certainly not clear to me. The government has issued through the Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government advice to planning authorities when they are considering planning applications involving lighting. The Clean Neighbourhood Environment Act empowers the local council to see whether the lights constitute a nuisance to an individual or an individual household but it seems from what they tell me that there is no legislation under which they are able to take action when lights cover a large area but not a particular household. So I'm not sure what the situation is, and I would really like to know.
0: Okay, that does sound like a bit of a loophole, doesn't it? So are you concerned about light pollution generally?
2: Well, I am very concerned because of its effect upon wildlife, flora and fauna. And I see no justification for the lights as they exist now at Nash's farm. More than that, of course, they spoil the view of the night sky, which many people like to enjoy and which I certainly like to enjoy.
0: Dr. David Lee, thank you very much indeed. I was talking there to Dr. David Lee and I contacted Nash's farm asking them for a comment, but they didn't get back to me in time for this show. It's always good to hear from you. Do get in touch via Twitter at RV underscore Environment or via the Environment Matters Facebook page. You can drop me a line, as Dr. Lee did, on Amanda at com if you've got a comment about perhaps today's show or other ideas that you think I should cover. I'm going to be back at the same time next week. Until then, thanks for listening.